Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This week's episode features Mike Kane. I am glad to have all of you here in this room and virtually. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is um, a purpose for you being here. And there is a purpose for you to hear what God has to say mm-hmm. um, today. And I do not want you to miss out on that. And it's not that... I have something great to say. My prayer is that the words that come from my mouth are the words of the Spirit. And that any words that are not of Him would fall flat and you would forget anything about them. That is my prayer. We're going to have communion later today. And I wanted to refresh our memories about communion. I want to make sure that we understand what we are doing and the importance of it. And so I want us to go back to the beginning. And I want us to talk about what Jesus said about himself. And I'm going to put context to the scripture that I'm going to read. We're going to spend a lot of time in John chapter 6. So we're not going to be in 1 Corinthians 11, where a lot of us spend time on the communion. We're going to go back to when Jesus talked about eating flesh and blood. We're going to go to that part. And before we talk about John 6, where I want to go, I want to give you context about what happened. Because there's a very familiar story before Jesus talks about this. And the story is the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus is kind of in this remote region around the Galilee. And all these thousands and thousands of people show up. And the heart of God is touched. And he teaches. Because there are people without a shepherd. There are people that are lost. And so Jesus wants to be their shepherd. Which is a great thing. And so he teaches and he teaches and he teaches to the point where the people are hungry. Their physical stomachs are empty. And so the disciples come to him and say, you need to let these people go. They need to go find places to go eat. They need to go find some towns. And Jesus says, well, we're in a remote place. You know, you feed them. And of course, the disciples are just aghast with that. It's like, what are you talking about? How in the world am I going to feed these people? You must be crazy. And Jesus says, why don't you just go ahead and have them sit down and get into groups about 50 to 100. And, um, and oh, and thank you for bringing this boy's lunch to me that has, you know, a few fish and some loaves. And I'll take care of it from here. And so he feeds through these few fish loaves, thousands upon thousands of people. Not until they were, you know, their stomach no longer pains them, until they were satisfied. Satisfied. Now, I only know my satisfaction, so I'm satisfied when my stomach's full. So I'm going to, uh, 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 you know, assume that these guys ate until they were full. And just to, you know, put the, the icing on top of the cake in that story, 
Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go fill up your baskets with everyone's left over. And they come back with 12 full baskets of food. So they, he didn't just satisfy them. He overflowed their cups. Right? Overflowed their cups. So to continue with the context, he sends the disciples across the lake, Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, to go back to Capernaum. So it puts them in a boat and says, hey, I want to I go disperse the crowds. You go ahead and go ahead of me and, and go. And so he disperses the crowds, and then he goes up into the top of the mountain to pray. And late at night, Jesus finishes his prayer and decides, you know, I'm going to go meet up with the disciples at Capernaum. But he doesn't get in a boat. He doesn't walk on land. He walks on the sea. And he walks on the sea, and who sees him? But the disciples. Of course, they think he's a ghost. And then there's that whole Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water, too. And he gets back in the boat. All of a sudden, the storm that they were in just kind of comes to an end. And next thing they know, they're at Capernaum. It's just like a flash. We're there. Now, who's left in that story? That doesn't have context. And that is the crowd. The thousands of people that were left that he was dispersing wake up the next morning and who do they think they're looking for? Jesus, right? Because they didn't see him get in the boat. So they expected him to be there. But he wasn't. So they're like, man, what happened to this guy, man? Because, man... A free meal is always a good thing to have, right? I mean, isn't that the way it works, at least at my job? If you want to get someone to a particular meeting, you cater it. Then you know you're going to get all the people that you want in that meeting. So they're thinking the same thing. If Jesus wants us to be around when he's catering, we'll be there, right? Got an empty stomach? Sure do remember what Jesus did yesterday for me. So I would love to have some food. All right, there's our context. The people then go looking for Jesus. So some of these folks came from Capernaum, so they head back to Capernaum. And guess who they ran into? Jesus. And they're going, first question was, how did you get here? If you ever notice, Jesus never tells them how he got there. Right? But he answers a question they did not ask. But he knew it was in their hearts. And now we're going to go to John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered. This is how he answers their question, where did you, how did you get here? Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. All right, I'm going to need you guys to change your perspective on how you're thinking. We're going to read through some passages in John chapter 6. And you're going to have to change the way you think. Because that is exactly what he's trying to do to the Jews. 
who are asking this, who didn't ask the question that Jesus is answering. Because he knows in their heart what what they're interested in is, you served a really good dinner last night, and I'd like to have a really good dinner tonight. And so, but what Jesus is already starting to move in the direction of is he starts being spiritual and they're thinking physical. Okay? So if you want to track with Jesus, you're going to have to think spiritual as we read through this passage. And you're going to struggle because your mind's going to want to go physical on you all the way through this. And you're going to have to remember that Jesus is talking spiritual. And that's where the struggle comes in this passage, is he cannot, for some reason, the Jews cannot get off the physical and leap to the spiritual. But I am in high hopes for you all that you can make the leap to spiritual. All right, let's go to verse 28. Then they asked him, What must we do the works God requires? All right, let's go back to 27. Because what they heard was, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life. So in the minds of the Jews, it's like, You know, I would really like to have food where I can eat it and never have to worry about eating again. You know, because, you know, they spent a lot of time of their life working for food, whether in agriculture and, and, and getting the wheat prepared, growing it, threshing it, making bread, and then eating it before it spoils. You know, there was a lot of time. So if you can cut, allow, you know, 50% of your life not having to do that, that's a quite a bit of savings in your time, right? And so that's the perspective the Jews are thinking about with this food is, wow, if you can give me food that lasts eternity, that would be amazing, right? So that's why they said, what must we do the works that God requires? So what do we have to do to get this food? What is it that we have to do? So Jesus answers their question in verse 29. So he says, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. Amen. So he tells them, oh, you want that food? You have to believe. Now, what do you think, how that, how do you think that resonated with them? They're thinking about their stomachs and God's saying believe. What do you think is going through their minds as, as they were thinking about food? What story in their history do you think they were running to? Manna. Exactly. They have a story in their history in which God provided and they didn't have to harvest any wheat. They didn't have to do anything. They just had to get up and collect it in the morning and they had it three meals a day, right? It was easy. And that's exactly where they ran to. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
So that's exactly where they ran to. They ran to the manna. They're like, Jesus, if you can get manna to fall from heaven, we're all for it. We're for it. You know? And so that's where they're at. They're thinking of their physical stomachs. And what does God say? Believe. Believe. All right, let's keep going. So Jesus starts getting a little bit more real from a spiritual standpoint in verse 32. He says, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, Jesus is talking spiritual. The Jews are still thinking physical. They're thinking bread from heaven. What does that sound like? Manna falling from heaven like rain, right? But that is not what he's talking about. He's talking spiritual. And that is not where their heads are. They are not spiritual. Because he was asking them to believe. And they're not saying, okay, we'll believe. They're just saying, show me. Show me. Don't believe. I don't want to believe. Just show me. Does that sound familiar to us? Don't we like, like we have to prove it, right? Show me with my eyes so I can see it, right? Show me. Prove it to me. All right. Let's go to the verse. I'm going to jump down to now 34. <laughs> so, you know, this is so, so neat because you can, st- you can still see in 34 that the Jews are not tracking with him. So they said, sir, they said, always give us this bread. So they're thinking bread from heaven. Yes, manna, bring it on. Always give us this bread. And then Jesus starts making a turn on them that they start to realize that he's not tracking with them. He's on a different road than they are, right? So in 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Okay, this is a little bit different, right? Bread of life, what does that mean? I am the bread of life. This is a new concept. And they're probably in their minds going, what is he asking us to do here? Who, what am I eating again? It doesn't sound like manna now. Bread of life. So let's go. I'm going to jump us down to 53. There's a lot of great stuff in between that you can go back home or when you go back to your room, you can read. I'm going to jump us to 53 because I'm going to condense part. (laughs) Jesus said to them, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is when they realized Jesus is talking something totally different. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. This is where the Jews go, oh no, who is this guy? What is he asking us to do? Jesus makes it really clear, you have to eat him. Not manna, not bread made with wheat, to eat him, not to drink the fruit of the vine, but to drink his blood. That's what he says, right? That's in his word. He's not using wine. He's not using bread like you that we think of. He is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's what he says. Like, I'm not making this up. That's what he says. So what's happening here? What's happening in this scripture? You know what? In some ways, this should not have caught the Jews by surprise. Because who is Jesus? What is he proclaiming himself to be? The Lamb of God. Amen. Right? Oh, and where in the Jewish history is this Lamb brought into existence? Is it not with the Passover? The very first Passover, Amen. which was in Exodus chapter 12 is where the Passover is explained to the Jews and what they are supposed to do. Right? So the Jews are in Egypt. They are slaves. God has gone through his servant Moses and Aaron, and they have brought the plagues to Egypt. Nine plagues have happened. And through all nine plagues, God has done one thing to Pharaoh each time. And that was to harden his heart. Mm -hmm. And the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, you think, well, that's not a very good thing to do. He's not giving Pharaoh a chance. But you have to keep in mind what God is doing. He, Who is he after? Is he after the Egyptians? No, he's after the Israelites. The Egyptians are just the tool he's using with these plagues so that the Israelites can see what God is doing. And now he's about to bring the most important plague at all, as of all. But this one is going to be looking forward, while the others have been looking in the past. They are now looking forward with the tenth plague, which is the angel of death. And what do the Israelites have to do to keep the angel of death out of their house? They have to take a lamb, and they have to kill that lamb. What do they do with the blood? They apply it on the doorpost and the doorframe of the door. Right. What do they do with the lamb itself? They eat it. They actually eat the lamb. And there's actual direction in how they're supposed to do this. 
One is they get dressed. Two, they eat it in a hurry. But the other thing direction is they are to gather enough people in the house to eat the whole lamb. So they were actually supposed to look at the lamb and say, probably going to take about 10 of us to get through that meat. You know, and so they were like, you know, if you only have five, maybe you bring in your neighbor who has five as well. Now you've got 10 and you can together eat that lamb. Right. And so the Passover is looking forward. Right. And. The, it's the use of the blood and the eating of the flesh of the lamb that is taking place. And so as Jesus is talking to the Jews about what's happening spiritually, where is he pointing to for them to remember? He's taking them back to the Passover, the thing they do every year since they left Egypt. They have done that every year. And so he's taking that very scenario and helping them understand or trying to help them understand what they have been doing all along. And that's where the struggle comes in. That's the struggle. Because the lamb was a cast in a shadow. It pointed to something else. It didn't point to itself. As I, I, my, this little lamb that bleats and can't even talk to you and is very feeble is not going to provide to you the righteousness that you are seeking. It's just pointing them to the one who can be the lamb of God that can provide that righteousness. So the Jews struggled with how do I eat and how do I drink of this man? Because all they could think about is their physical stomachs. All they could think about is what they put into their mouth. They couldn't think about what Jesus asked them to do, and that is to believe in him, the bread of life. Right? And so he was asking them to think spiritual, not physical. So I want us to do the same thing. I want us to think spiritual and not physical because we struggle with this too as we take the communion. We think of only of the physical traits that we hold in our hand and the cup that we hold in our hand. So we got the bread and the cup, but it's so much more than that because God is talking about spiritual and he wants you to eat. And... God has spiritual food courses for you to eat. I'm going to walk you through a few of those courses that you can eat. Spiritual courses that are real. Number one, if you believe, remember that was the criteria that Jesus gave in John chapter 6. If you believe, that was the criteria, belief. If you believe... You can actually eat the words of God. 
And scripture backs this up. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, there's a very interesting story in there, a very short story about Ezekiel. And he is given a scroll that has words written on it. And God did not want him to necessarily memorize what was on the scroll. What he asked him to do, because what was written on there was God's words. And that what he wanted Ezekiel to tell the people. He didn't ask him to memorize what was on the scroll. What he asked him to do was actually to eat it. I want you to physically eat my words. Let's take you another story. This is not in, in, the, in the Jewish history, not unusual to eat like this. Because if you go to Moses, go to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, and verse 18. It says that Moses survived for 40 days and 40 nights, not eating or drinking physical food. So what was he eating? How was he surviving? Well, what was God doing during those 40 days and 40 nights with Moses? He was talking to them. He was giving the law to them that he was going to carry down to the Israelites, right, and and give it to them. So guess what Moses was actually feasting on during that time? was the actual words of God were sustaining him. And you could think, well, 40 days without food, Jesus did it, people on earth do it, you can survive 40 days without food, but can you survive 40 days without drinking? No. You can't. God was supernaturally sustaining Moses during this time because God can do that. God can do that. His words provide that substance that, that can actually allow us to survive. Now, God probably won't give you a scroll to eat. Probably not. But what he does give us is his words. He does. That still happens today. He gives us words. And we can actually eat of it. You know how you do that? Remember, don't think about your stomach physically. This is spiritual. You eat by reading his word. You eat by listening to the prophecies that come forth. In your mind, you say, well, I know that voice. It's coming from that person. And you make a judgment. Am I going to listen to that? Because I don't know if I like that person so much. So I don't know if I want to believe what's coming out of their mouth. That's not how it works. How it works is that God is speaking through them and using the vocal cords of that person. Right? That's what God's asking us to believe. And so we eat of those words. Those are substance for us. That provides life. Amen. For us. So, remember, point number one is we can actually eat the words of God. Number two, what is another course in our meal? The second course of our meal is we can actually eat our ministry. 
our ministry can actually be food for us. Let me take you to John chapter 4, 31 to 34. This is a story that we all know, and this is about Jesus with the disciples going into a Samaritan village. Right? Now we've got to keep in mind the Samaritans are pretty much a hated people by the Jews. And here's Jesus walking in, and he stops at a well and sends his disciples in, and they're going to go get some food. And he's by himself by this well. And this lady comes in the middle of the day to come give him water. And he has a conversation with her. Turns out she's not very reputable, this lady. And, uh, and so he converses with her and basically tells her about herself without her telling him anything about herself. So he knows her. You know, and she gets excited because she realized that this is no ordinary person. That this is someone that told her everything about herself. And that this person, she needs to tell others about this person. So she then turns around and goes running back to the town. And I can just visualize, here goes this lady and here comes the disciples coming back from the town with the actual physical food. Watching this lady run right past them and they're probably going like, wonder what's going on with her. And what was she doing up there with Jesus? And so they arrive at, at Jesus' location, and they start pulling out of their bags, you know, probably some bread, maybe some few fish, maybe some olives or whatever, you know, whatever they found in the market. And they're laying it out for everyone to eat, and they're kind of like, here, Jesus, you know, here's something to eat. I know you're hungry. And, and Jesus says to them, you know, I'm not hungry. And in verse 32, he answers them and he says, But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? All right, let's go back to our stomachs here. What stomach is the disciples thinking about? Physical. What stomach is Jesus talking about? Spiritual. Verse 34. My food, said Jesus. Now you get to see what Jesus ate. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. Jesus was doing the ministry that God had asked him to do. He was to minister to that lady. And he did. And God fed him. If you are doing your ministry, you are eating of God. You are eating of the spiritual food God has laid out on his banquet and table that you have approached and pulled up a seat to. And you do your ministry, you are eating of the food that God has laid out on that table. Do you want to pass up the food that God lays out before you? Probably not. Do we pass up the food that God lays out before you? Amen. Yes, I do. I do. Amen. I admit that. I do. God may put on my heart, Mike, I want you to minister. I want you to prophesy. And for whatever reason, I may say, oh, I don't know. I don't feel good about it. 
I feel like I would be noticed. I don't want to be noticed. You know, I might say something wrong, whatever the case may be. And I pass up eating at the table with God. I pass it up. Now, if I had seen it and found out it was a juicy piece of turkey, all of a sudden I'm I'm all over it, right? But for whatever reason, when it's spiritual food, we are a people that follow our eyes. We are. We are. What, why do restaurants have pictures of their food on their menu? Because they know that. They know if they get a nice picture of the food that more than likely you'll pick it out. Why do they put the picture of the food of the most expensive items on their menu? Right? But God doesn't play that game. Right? That's not the game that God plays. He knows the food he provides is good, and he tells us it's good in his word. Are we willing to believe? That's the key. Are we willing to believe and eat? Number three, third course. Taking the communion. That's our third course. The communion is a very unique situation. Because it's a mixing of the physical with the spiritual. The two are brought together. And it's very unique. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, This is my body. Eat. This is my blood. Drink. So it's still aligning itself with John chapter 6. But somehow, and I don't know how God does this. I don't know how he does it. But he takes these elements that are under this tablecloth. And when it is prayed over by the elders, God takes spiritual aspects of Jesus, the spiritual attributes of Jesus, and infuses it into that physical bread and that physical wine. He does that supernaturally. And I don't know how it's done. But he uses us from an elder perspective to to play a role in that. And all of a sudden, that is no longer just physical food and no longer just physical wine. It's no longer that. But the requirement is still the same from John chapter 6, and that is belief. You still have to believe what you're eating is actual Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood. Because spiritually, it is exactly that. It is not crackers and juice from a, from a vine. It's not. It's different. It's different. What you go to the cafeteria to eat is different than what you're going to eat here right. today. Amen. Two different, totally things. Two different things altogether. And we have to believe that. 
That's why in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul admonishes the Corinthians to respect the communion. Because if they don't, what happens? Sickness or death plays a role in those people's lives. And that is what he tells them. That's why some of them have already died. That's why it's really important as elders, as we pray over the, the, the elements, that we realize that this stuff doesn't represent Jesus. It is Jesus. It is his flesh and his blood. It doesn't represent. Because if it represented it, it would have no power to it. And that's why Jesus, that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to them that because they did not really believe what was going on, that's why people were getting sick and why they were dying. Because if it was just representing that, it would have no power to it. It would have no need for respect. But God said in John chapter 6, Jesus didn't use the words, this represents my blood or this represents my flesh. He says, this is my flesh. This is his, my blood. And so somehow, that I don't understand, he takes that when it's prayed over, and he infuses those spiritual aspects of Jesus into the physical bread and wine. And that's really important for us to understand, that we are actually eating of Jesus. And we want that in our lives. We want that, because that is allowing, we are physically allowing Jesus into our lives again, over and over again, every time we take the communion, because we need more and more of him every day. I'm going to go back to the Passover in Egypt. One of the directions that it was told, that if there was any of the lamb left over, before morning, what were they supposed to do? with that leftover meat. They were to burn it. Get rid of it. What do we do as elders Sunday mornings when we have leftover bread that has been blessed? We burn it. We are following the same direction that was given to the Israelites way back thousands of years. To, to burn the leftover lamb. That's exactly what we're doing here with this bread because we are burning the leftover lamb. Not all of it was eaten. We try to allocate enough for everybody, but no one's perfect, right? And so there's typically some leftover that we want to then burn. And so we are still following the following that this is actually the lamb of God. You know, when I was thinking about this, you know, I always wondered, why does God want to use this? Why does he want to use the communion? Why does he want us to eat something? I mean, he could have picked anything in the world, but he chose this. Why? You know, I think about Psalm 34, 8. I don't know if you've ever struggled with this psalm, but it says, taste and see the Lord is good. 
That's a very interesting thing to say in the Psalms, taste and see. If I was a Jew back then, it's like, what are you talking How am I going to do that? You know, how am I going to do that? But taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's just like, even back then, God was talking about eating. Eating him. Eating. And that, you know, as you think about that, we're such a very sensory-oriented people. Very sensory. How many senses do we have? Five. Unless something's changed. You know, genders seem to be changing around here, so I just want to make sure it's still five, that we don't have a sixth one that's popped up somewhere. Five. I think it's very interesting that God knows we have senses. I mean, obviously, he created us, right? We know, if you think about why God chose eating, what is important about eating? That if you stopped eating, what would happen? If you go long enough, you'll die. People do go on hunger strikes, and what's the ultimate outcome of that? Death. Can you go without eyesight? Can you go without hearing? Can you live without touching? Can you live without smelling? Can you live without tasting? You can. Because there are people that cannot taste. Do they still eat? They do. So God is like, I'm not going after your senses. I'm going after what, what sustains life, which is eating. Now, taste is very close to eating because we, we identify since we're eating, we're tasting. So they're very closely identified to one another. And that's why Psalm talks about taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when you're eating, your body's automatically tasting at that point. So here we are. Here we are with God using eating. And I'm, I'll, I'll tie tasting to it just so it's simple for us, Right. And the reason that God, in my mind, has chosen to use bread and wine and to use that aspect of eating is because, one, it sustains life physically. And God wanted to make that match spiritually as well. We need Jesus to have life. When you eat... It strengthens you as well. If you've ever gone fasting for a week or so, you might feel you're feeling a little weak and you get a meal in you. All of a sudden you feel strength because the food has given your body nutrients and it, what it's desiring to build up your strength. Jesus gives us strength. Amen. Right? Paul talks about, I, I, I revel in my weakness. Because I know God will bring the strength. The other thing that food does, it gives you strength, but it also gives you energy. Right? So it gives you perseverance, right, to continue for a length of time to be able to do something. So, like, you never, if you're ever in the physical labor, which less and less people do, but if you ever were a ditch digger that manually had to dig a hole with a shovel, you never want to do that without eating because you won't last very long, right? Because food is an important part of being able to do physical labor because food gives energy. 
The fruit of Jesus gives us perseverance, allows us to go a long time with what he needs for us to do. So if you need to persevere through your ministry, you need more of Jesus. It'll give you perseverance. The other thing is food gives you nutrients. And when you have nutrients, it helps keep you from getting disease and sickness. Right, because it allows your body to fight those things that are coming from the outside trying to attack the body. So nutrients come from food. God provides nutrients through his word, through prophecy, and through the communion to sustain us. We talk about, if you go back to Egypt, the diseases of Egypt, God talks about, I'm not going to give you those diseases, right? Because what has he done? He's given nutrients, spiritual nutrients to the people of Israel that the Egyptians didn't have. And so because of those spiritual nutrients, those diseases had no chance with the children of Israel. So I want us to realize in the communion what we are doing We are eating of Jesus. We are eating spiritual food that looks physical. And so it's important for us as we do this, as we get ready for the communion, that we remember the very first condition that Jesus said when he talked about this in John 6, and that is believe. You have to believe. And so if you don't have belief, you really have no, you have no reason to take the communion because that's the foundation of the communion itself is belief. And so if you lack belief, you really don't need the communion. It will do nothing for you. The other aspects are the other courses as well, which is reading God's word. Listening to prophecy, doing your ministry, and lastly, taking the communion. Those are courses of meals, food, spiritual food that we can eat, and we can grow, and we can strengthen, be strengthened spiritually. And so I just wanted to encourage you in that as we get ready for the communion. That this isn't just bread and wine. And that we have done some type of waving of the hand over it as elders. And all of a sudden, something wonderful. I mean, it's, it's still wonderful. But it's, there's more happening here that is spiritual than we realize with using our eyes. Right? It's coming down to belief. That God has put infused into the communion... Jesus. And the reason we take the communion so often, and 1 Corinthians reminds us of this, is to remember. Because why do we need to remember? Because we are a forgetful people. And that's one of the reasons why in this church that I really like is that we take the communion every Sunday because we forget from one Sunday to the next, everything in between, we've had that time to forget. And we need to remember that we need more of Jesus every time we take the communion. We need more of him in our lives. 
And that is so important. And so I just wanted to leave you with that. That was put on my heart just to share that with you. God has been working on me in this as well. And um, as we get ready for the communion today, I just wanted to let you know that let's really believe. Let's take that first step and believe that we are not just eating crackers and wine, but that we are partaking of Jesus himself. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org. Thank you.